Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy 60. Is today the day? Should we be playing Elvis music all day? This is the, it is. August 16th is the anniversary of the passing of Elvis Presley, or so we're told. Uh, I should have asked Billy Stanley. I mean, when we had him on, he's one of Elvis's stepbrothers, his oldest stepbrother, uh, talked about his faith and uh, and Billy's faith. And uh, we should have confirmed you know, the rumors once and for all that Elvis did, in fact, leave the building. But it was 1977, one of those uh, iconic moments where you remember exactly where you were. Uh, my family and I were on vacation in Hawaii, and uh, we heard the news, and every radio station on the Big Island uh, Oahu, anyway, not the big main island, but Oahu, was playing their uh, the Elvis music to celebrate him, celebrate his life. So um, on a day where we are thinking about Hawaii as well and keeping them in our prayers as they're digging out of the aftermath, uh, it's nice to know that we can continue on with life semi-normal anyway, but realizing that it's tough for Christians in the culture that we live in today. And today here on the Bottom Line Show, it's Everyone Wednesday, and we've got some great resources to give away. I have five different books that we're giving away today. This is really cool. We've got two different authors who are going to be joining me on the program and five different resources. So, you know, we always call everyone Wednesday that day that everybody's going to win something. I'll just give you the number right now at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, the books that we're going to talk about today are, have a similar theme, and the theme is how do we as Christians endure during tough times, whether you're at the top of the mountain. In one case, we'll be talking about Major League Baseball players who've had uh, some great successes and also some crushing failures and how faith has helped them through that. But also, um, what is it like to live as Christians in a culture where you are experiencing persecution? And as more and more American Christians are waking up to the reality of what a lot of our brothers and sisters have been experiencing for decades, you know, in, in different parts of the world. And we're seeing businesses closed down and lives threatened and, and, and it's just, it, it's challenging. You have to ask the question, at what point, you know, I mean, is, is there any sort of logic or reason behind it? Of course, there's not. I mean, it's the enemy. But I want to put something in perspective here, just as a reminder, if you, for those who might be tempted to think, okay, guess what? It's tough for some people, but it really isn't that bad. This is how we have evidence that it is getting that bad. And this is very interesting. The House Judiciary Committee has been doing some uh, due diligence. And uh, there was a a request that came from an organization, a faith-based organization, that said, uh, we, we feel like we're being targeted and we're being targeted unjustly simply because of our faith in Christ. And the, uh, the House Judiciary Committee, which is chaired by Jim Jordan, good uh, godly man out of, of Ohio, uh, they did a little due diligence. And at the request of um, uh, Bill Donahue, who's the president of the Catholic League, he said, will you please let us know what you're finding out about the fact that it seems like, of late, more and more Catholic organizations are being targeted. And this isn't just hyperbole. This isn't just uh, anecdotal, gosh, it feels like it's really horrible. I mean, there are a lot of people who, if you see enough reports of the news of some group being targeted, you might believe that you're being targeted too. But, you know, it's amazing that in the, in the popular culture, there's a term that the kids like to use, as I like to say. And it's something I think we can all relate to. The term is, I, I was just made aware of this last year. This is, I'm 62 years old next month. 
I, I'm a little slow in the uptake, but this is the term. The term is receipts. Now, you know what a receipt is, right? I mean, you go to the store. Um, sometimes they'll print you out a paper receipt. Sometimes they'll send it to you in, um, in form of electronics, like a text message or an email. But a receipt, of course, is proof of purchase. It basically just says that whatever transaction happened, this is your proof. If you bought something, this is the proof of purchase. If you returned something, here's the proof of return. If you made a deposit, on, uh, receipts, right? It's amazing to me how many people will go off of somebody's innuendo. You know, we used to see this a lot with the crabby atheists and hang angry humanist groups. They would send a letter to a school district saying, we have it on good authority that one of your teachers has been praying with students before school or, you know, Joe Kennedy took a knee at a high school football game and somebody's going to get offended by that. And these letters were basically just bullying tactics. There was nothing legal behind them. No laws have been broken. But the question was, well, can we intimidate you into the fear that you might not be able to uh, pay the legal fees if we ever go to court? Well, the Catholic League has one even a step further than that, and they have the receipts now to prove it. Um, House Judiciary Committee, uh, under the leadership of Jim Jordan, has revealed that the FBI's Richmond Field Office, literally, um, <laughs> they produced a memo on January the 23rd, and that memo identified, quote, radical traditionalist Catholic ideology as a potential security threat. You heard that right. <laughs> this is, and this came out and there's a new, uh, you know, House Judiciary Committee is going after the FBI. You know, they're, they're challenging the Bureau on the way that the Federal Bureau of Investigation has been handling certain investigations. Why does it seem like they're targeting some individuals and, and they're going easy on others? Um, on July 12th, uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray gave testimony and said that the FBI's actions were limited to a single field office. A couple of rogue operators, bad actors. This isn't the FBI on the whole. It's just one office. We heard that before from the White House. Remember when the, uh, uh, the 501c3 groups, the nonprofit organizations, some of them Christian-based, some of them Patriot-based, Tea Party, whatever, and they weren't getting their 501c4 designations? That's just IRS tax lingo for 501c3 is the section that identifies how a nonprofit organization can incorporate. Your church has a 501c3 status. A lot of the ministries, well, most of the ministries that are uh, here on the Bottom Line Show have 501c3 status, and so you can make a donation to them, and it's tax deductible. Now, if and people in the past, not too many, but a few people have sent me checks here at the Bottom Line Show saying this is for your ministry, and we always return them because I'm not a ministry. I'm hired as a contractor by Crawford Broadcasting. I am an ordained minister, but I do not have a 501c3 ministry. I might at some point, but I don't. So that, that's just IRS lingo. There was one office in the IRSdom that allegedly was slow walking, as they put it, these applications for 501c3 and 501c4, as you'll recall. And Jay Sekulow of Sekulow Live, which you hear every weekday on all of our Bottom Line Show affiliates, led up the charge for over 100 nonprofit organizations that were literally being stonewalled by the Internal Revenue Service and we're not at many of these political groups. They, the 501c4 side is what you do to raise money for uh, 
political campaigns, and they weren't allowed to engage. Dr. James Dobson's family talk was slow walked on their 501c4. 501c3 got rubber stamped. 501c4 got slow walked. And of course, the uh, administration at the time decided that they would just they wouldn't throw the whole IRS under the bus. They just said it's the Cincinnati office that's doing this, not realizing that that's the only place where these things get processed. So basically, it was the entire Internal Revenue Service. And after a class action lawsuit, um, they eventually got their 501c4s, but not until the 2012 elections had already taken place. Well, now the Catholic League is saying, hey, wait a minute. We believe that the FBI is targeting Catholics all across the country. Christopher Ray said, well, it was one office. Yeah, it's, it's not the whole everything. But apparently, the FBI Richmond Field Office was the office that, and I'm quoting his report, that coordinated with multiple FBI field offices across the country to produce that memo. So for Director Ray to sit there and say, oh, no, it's just one office. It's just it's one, it's one incident. It's one bunch of bad actors. No, they were ground zero for this. The letter cited information contained in a report from an FBI Portland contact, quote, with indirect access who informed on a deceased uh, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist subject who had sought out a mainline Roman Catholic community and then gravitated toward the Society of St. Pius X. It appears that the FBI Portland and FBI Los Angeles field offices were involved in or contributed to the creation of the FBI's assessment of traditional Catholics as potential domestic terrorists. <laughs> the letter goes on, in order to ensure First Amendment guarantee, a free exercise of religion is protected from government overreach, the committee asked for all the documents and all communications between the FBI's Richmond and Portland field offices in regard to any information cited in the January 23rd memo. Um, what's interesting is... Um, they're waiting for the Christian Post reported on this. They're waiting for a report from uh, Representative Jordan's office to see if they've gotten anything. But it's, it's very interesting that basically what you see is that it wasn't just one field office in Richmond, Virginia. You've got Portland involved. You've got Los Angeles involved. Basically, every field office of the FBI doing what they consider to be their due diligence to check out the fact that traditional Catholic values were considered to be terrorist actions this is just the world that we live in brothers and sisters and we could shake our heads and wring our hands all we want to but did you ever think that your faith in christ would get you labeled a terrorist well you know it's it's hard for us to imagine that here in god and country america but set the way back machine about two thousand years think about what it was like for the early church and the fact that Rome was so dominant, remember the zealots of the Jewish community were hoping that Jesus would come and overthrow Rome and establish a new government that would even supersede the existing Jewish government and Roman governments, and Jesus didn't do that and they were frustrated. But the early church still operated under the power of Jesus Christ, of course, and the uh, direction of the Holy Spirit, but they were mindful of the fact that Rome was still calling all the shots. So we find in the first epistle written by the Apostle Peter some really practical guidelines for the early church to endure in this kind of hardship, but it actually makes sense for us even today. And Carol McLeod is an author 
uh, and a podcaster, broadcaster. She has a brand new book out on this subject using a phrase from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, where Peter writes about the living and enduring word of God. Uh, Carol's book is called Timeless. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And because it's Everyone Wednesday today, we have three copies, not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Carol McLeod joins me on the other side of this break to talk about the living and enduring word of God against the days when Christians are being labeled as terrorists right here in the United States. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today on The Bottom Line Show, we are going to take a look at an issue that is important for us to understand because, you know, when you look at Scripture, oftentimes you have a tendency to think in terms of, like a lot of people do these days, they see it as a history book. They don't see it as the inspired, living, and active Word of God. But then again, every now and again, you'll come across a book in Scripture and you'll say, gosh, that feels like they wrote it last week. And today here on the Bottom Line Show, we're going to take a look at one of those books and a book about one of those books. Uh, joining me today here on the program is Carol McLeod. She is the uh, an award-winning author and a Bible teacher. Uh, her weekly blog, Joy for the Journey, has been named uh, to the top 50 faith blogs for women. Her devotionals on version have been downloaded several million times. And her brand new book is called Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God. It focuses on uh, the epistle of 1 Peter. Uh, Carol McLeod, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Oh, thank you, Roger. It's always so great to be with you. Well, thank you for, for taking the time to look into something like First Peter, because in all honesty, I, there are certain verses in First Peter that we quote on a regular basis, and then there are certain parts yeah. of Peter that we ignore on a certain <laughs> on a particular basis yeah. as well. What was it about this part of Scripture, Carol, that led you to uh, want to say, uh, it's time to put together a bit of a devotional study on this? Well, Roger... I guess I have to travel back in time with you because ever since I was a little girl, Peter was my favorite disciple. Mm. You know, whenever I say that, I feel like I need to say, sorry, John, but I <laughs> love Peter. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So I always knew I wanted to write a book about him or a book based on his writings and scripture. And so this book, Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, is, is sort of the result of my um, spiritual draw toward this opinionated, blustery man named Peter. Mm-hmm. Opinionated and bluster, blustering, who also reminds us to uh, have uh, gentleness and respect when sharing our faith with people. And it's, he, he's a bit of a paradox, Peter is, isn't he, Carol McLeod? Well, he really is. You know, I think, though, Roger, one of the reasons I've always loved him so much is because I see myself in him. Um, hmm. Peter slept when he should have been praying. Like, how many times have I done that? Um, mm. He thought that he had a better idea than Jesus. Roger, I give Jesus my suggestions all the time. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I have not done, I've never cut off somebody's ear, which is what Peter did. <laughs> yeah. <But> also, <laughs> Peter was the only disciple who one night on a stormy sea, he said, Jesus, I want to do what you are doing. And that's the kind of disciple I want to be. When I am in over my head, I want to do what Jesus is doing. So Peter is an incredible man, and he changed. He matured. I mean, my goodness, Jesus called him Petros, the rock on which he would build his church. And so I think that 
um, Peter proves there's hope for all of us, Roger. Um, he, Peter changed. He matured. And the two things that changed him were these. He experienced the risen Christ. And wow, knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that will change you. And the second thing is that Peter experienced the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the early church. And those two experiences, the risen Christ, Jesus, you are Lord, you're my Savior, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you with his power. You know, Peter went from being a denier to being a proclaimer. He went from winning arguments to winning souls. The transformation was profound, and I want to change like Peter did. I'm talking with Carol McLeod today here on The Bottom Line. Her brand new book is called Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, and that uh, subtitle literally is a direct quote from the epistle of 1 Peter, on which this book is based. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You know, it's interesting, uh, Carol, you talk about Peter's transformation. You know, many of us, especially on the Protestant side of the equation, will remember Peter denying Jesus. We forget about Peter walking on water. We remember the restoration, tell the disciples and Peter, you know, that I've risen from the grave. But then you go ahead to Acts chapter 2 and the foundation of the church and who's the spokesman, right? You know, who's who's putting it all together? Right. It's, you know, P- Peter's the centerpiece. <laughs> talk, talk talk about how, yeah. uh, as you walk us through these the, this nine-week study here, and it's five days a week, so if you're looking for weekends free, I think this is a good way to kind of approach it because sometimes we need yeah. a couple of sela days if you just kind of let them settle right in. But how do you envision people using this book in terms of how you've uh, kind of uh, chronicled his life through the epistle, First Peter? Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, let me just say this. The book can be used in a Sunday school class, a book club, a Bible study, a neighborhood Bible study. We, we've got girls using it on college campuses, um, Roger. Nice. So it, it really fits a lot. of. You can just do it independently if you want to, just by yourself. So you can get the book. And then um, there's a leader's guide you can also get, as well as nine video teachings to sort of enhance the series and go deeper. But one thing, uh, Roger, I called you Peter. How'd you like that? (laughs) (laughs) One thing, Roger, (laughs) that I love about this Bible study is that Peter was writing to a bullied, battered, persecuted church. And so I feel like what Peter spoke to the early church is very applicable today with what we see Christians and the church going through. So I'm telling you, whether you've been a Christian 24 hours or whether you've served the Lord for decades and decades, this book, First Peter, and hence the, the book, Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, it is appropriate for today. You know, I think about this, Carol, as we are having this conversation about your book, Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, and and the, the ministry of Peter, the example that Peter is to us even today. Uh, one of the things that you do stress in this book is to, to, to focus on, you know, acknowledging what's happening to you. You know, I think a lot of times there are people in the church or maybe people who leave the church who say, boy, everyone at that church just talks about all the good things that happen, and they don't really focus on, you know, 
their own sinful shortcomings or the other way around where it's just all we do is talk about what's wrong with the culture and we don't really get a chance to experience the joy of the Lord. Talk about how First Peter really helps us to appreciate both. I mean, the, the, the inexpressible, uh, inexpressible joy of, of the, being you know, a Christ yeah. follower, but, uh, but the imperishable love because there are so many expressions of love in the culture that are dying. That are, I mean, they're short-lived, they're temporal, they're just based on what people are feeling in that moment. Yeah, I think Peter really calls the church of every generation, of every epoch, to um, focus on the important things, focus on the eternal things, not on the temporary things. Listen, I don't care when you lived, whether you lived during the days of Noah or you live today, the first part of the 21st century. Every believer in Jesus Christ is going to go through something hard. Jesus himself said, in the world, you will have trouble. Um, yeah. But cheer up, I've overcome the world. And the book of First Peter is written for Christians who are going through a hard time. Peter doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't ignore it. But he says, this is how you do it. Roger, you know, I was raised in the church. I've been married to a pastor for over 40 years. Now he's a missionary. Mm. And so I've, I've observed the church in a lot of different decades. And you know what, Roger? I think that our generation, yours and mine, we, we've done a really good job of teaching the younger generations of Christians, how to walk in your destiny, how to live a purpose-filled life, how to make declarations. But I don't think we've taught them how to suffer well. Mm. And that is part of the walk of a believer. And so Peter teaches us how to suffer well. And that's part of what makes this book and scripture so practical for today. It helps us keep our eyes and our heart and our mouth and our mind set on Jesus, mm -hmm. no matter what fires are burning around us. Boy, that is such a powerful insight from Carol McLeod today here on The Bottom Line. If you are suffering in your faith right now, you want to make sure that A, you're doing it right, or B, that you're not scratching your head saying, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. What do you mean I'm going through hardship? And this brand new book of Carol's will help you uh, understand the reasons for the times that we're in, understand how we as Christians can persevere, but also to just rejoice a little bit saying, okay, well, if the fire's getting that hot, that means we're in the battle. Her brand new book is called Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, a phrase taken from 1 Peter 1.23. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, we'll get into a couple of uh, potentially controversial topics that she addresses in this book. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest 
while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Delightful conversation with Carol McLeod today here on the program. We're talking about Carol's new book called Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, which is based on uh, 1 Peter, the entire epistle of 1 Peter. We've got three, not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. And we're doing so today here on Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And in light of the fact, we think of that uh, report that I shared earlier, the uh, uh, the FBI investigations and a couple weeks ago, FBI Director Christopher Wray was saying, oh no, we, we, do, we do know that there was that one field office in Richmond, Virginia that said there were a couple of people who were Catholic who had been a part of this Catholic group, but then we, we, we were concerned they're terrorists. But in doing due diligence, the House panel discovered that it wasn't just the Richmond office, it was all the field offices of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and they basically were categorizing everybody who was part of the Roman Catholic Church to be domestic terrorists. I mean, because they, were, they weren't calling specialties into question. They were saying every tenet of the Catholic Church is what this one guy who they thought was a terrorist and was also a Catholic, and they, they just decided to spread it to the entire, I mean, congregation, if you will. And, and it's interesting because this is the type of dialogue that we think, wow, this is really happening in America, but it is happening in America. And so for us in the body of Christ to get hip to it and figure out what's going on, um, it's, well, it, this is not an overreaction. So be in prayer for people who would persecute us. Praise the Lord for people who would persecute those of the Christian faith, even going so far as to try to accuse us of being terrorists when we know we're not. And give Crystal a call right now at 800-227-5278. Here on Everyone Wednesday, we're giving away three copies, not one, not two, but three copies of Carol McLeod's book called Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, based on 1 Peter, How to Suffer Well When People Call You a Terrorist for Being a Christian. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process, it's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. 
Carol McLeod is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Brand new book based on 1 Peter is called Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And before the break, I tease the fact that, uh, Carol, it's a very straightforward look at a very straightforward guy. Uh, of course, Peter. I almost called him First Peter. Uh, he, only Peter, you know, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, yeah. But the idea, too, that there are a couple of subjects that you deal with that Peter addresses in his gospel that you wouldn't necessarily have to address the way he does. There's been a lot of talk, Carol, I know you've been following it too, about the role of women Mm -hmm, in the church. mm -hmm. Certain denominations are just having a a hard time figuring this out. And you have uh, one of your sub-chapters, if you will, in the book focuses on women in the gospel. Talk about what Peter shows us with regard to how we should be getting it right. And if we're trying to make some course corrections, especially here in the Western church, uh, he gives us some pretty good examples. Well, he really does. So, so Roger, when the Lord really laid on my heart to write this book, I thought, oh, Jesus, I'm going to love to write it. But, you know, the S word is, is, is in First Peter. What are we going to do with the S word? Mm-hmm. And, of course, that word is submission, right. um, which has become a dirty word. It's become a complicated word in the body of Christ. But listen, what, what I do in the book is this, Roger, is... I begin the S chapter, Women in the Gospels, and then the following chapter of Submission by saying this. Listen, and Roger, I'm going to ask you, we're going to change roles. I'm going to be the interviewer. I'm going to ask you some questions, (laughs) and I want you to answer with a yes or no answer, okay? Okay. Roger, do you believe the Word of God is true for every generation? Yes. Roger, do you believe the Bible is applicable to your life today? Yes. Do you believe the Word of God presents a lifestyle of freedom and not legalism? Absolutely, yes. Do you believe that when you obey the Word, your life becomes more abundant and therefore more joyful? Yes. Okay. Do you believe the Word of God is timeless? Yes. All right. Well, now we can tackle submission. Um, (laughs) So, you know, this is... (laughs) <laughs> this is the deal. When we say the word submission, women might rear up and say, what? You mean I don't get my own way? What? You mean I'm not always right? What? You mean somebody is demanding I die to self? Well, yeah, some of those things are true, Roger, from time to time. Um, but the truth is this. Let, let me soften it for a minute. The Word of God calls all of us to submission. The Bible says to submit to one another. It's not just wives submitting to their husbands. And Roger, in the book, I'm very, very careful to say, does not want you to be abused. If you're in an abusive marriage, get out. Mm -hmm. If you're in an abusive relationship, leave. If you need help, go to your pastor. I mean, my goodness, call your phone number and and we'll help you find a Christian counselor. Um, The Lord does not want you to be abused. That's not what submission is. The loveliest definition of the word submission that I found simply means to yield. And we understand this in traffic. Why don't we understand it in relationships? In Mm -hmm. traffic, there's a yield sign to to avoid a collision. So in relationships, there's a submission sign in order to avoid a collision. And, and Roger, you know, in the healthiest of marriages, there's a, a beautiful give and take and communication going back and forth, mutual understanding, praying together over a difficult decision. But wives are called to submit to their husbands. 
And because I believe the Bible brings freedom, because I believe that when I uh, obey Scripture, I'm a more joyful woman, I can say yes to submission. Um, So I I hope that helps you, Roger. I hope I wasn't too controversial, but there you are. That's (laughs) that's all I've got for you on submission. (laughs) No, no, it it was perfect. Carol McLeod is with us today here on The Bottom Line, and she's basically sharing from her book, Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, what uh, the the Apostle Peter says in his first epistle with regard to the submission word. And she's got a couple of different entries here that talk about the mutual submission, that that, that men have a responsibility to submit, that women have a responsibility to submit, and we find true, true freedom in Christ and in relationship with each other when we engage in that mutual submission. Uh, you said something before the break, uh, Carol, and I want to get in back into this a little bit because um, it, it's not always easy when you're a generation that has more churches, more youth groups, more events, more seminars, more fun, more everything for a younger generation, and then they all grow up and the first sign of peril, it's let's abandon the church or let's deconstruct our faith, or let's, yeah. you know, it, it seems like the first hint, we, you and I grew up in a generation where you had Ephesians 6, you put on the full armor of God, and if the flaming arrows came at you, you said, praise God for the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit, you know, whatever. But it seems like right. now th- th- there's, maybe there's a, a refresher course, or it might even be the first time, you know, that, that some Christians today have to be told that, well, that means you're getting it right if you are enduring persecution. Walk us through how to suffer well, what, what, how, how the living and enduring word can really live and endure, especially in times like these. Yeah, so, you know, Peter was writing, as I said earlier, to a suffering, bullied, marginalized church. He was writing to Christians, Roger, who had heard the screams of their parents being burned on stakes in Nero's oh. garden. They, they had watched their neighbors and their brothers and sisters being eaten by ravenous lions. It's to this group of suffering believers that Peter writes to. And so we've got to read the book of First Peter through that lens of suffering. So what does Peter say to them? He says, in this, you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. That's First Peter 1, 6. So Peter's advice to this church is lift your voice and sing. It's put your hands in the air and worship the Lord. So if you want to know how to suffer well, that's how you do it. You do it with a song in your heart that explodes out of your mouth. So, Roger, this word, uh, this phrase here, greatly rejoice, it's the Greek word agaliao, and it's only used a few times in Scripture. Roger, it's never used in secular Greek literature. It's a uniquely Christian word, agaliao, greatly rejoice. And so that's one of the ways we suffer well. And, And, Roger, let me just say to your listeners, I don't know what you're going through today. God knows what you're going through. But every believer at every generation has had to make this decision. Will I worship or will I whine? Will I give mm. thanks or will I gossip? Will, will I complain or will I lift my voice in song to the God Most High? Daniel had to make that decision. David had to. Esther had to. Mary had to. What makes us think that we get out of get out of trial card free 
No, it's, it's not there. But what we've been given are the tools to suffer well. And one of them is to sing, to sing at the top of your lungs. Mm. Singing is so powerful. And I, and I, I wonder how many people um, take for granted the fact that a lot of the songs that we have begun singing in the church have become songs that we like to sing because they talk about how good we feel rather than the, um, I, I, was, yeah. I, came, I came across an old Scottish hymn uh, just within the past couple of months, and and Keith and Kristen Getty have taken a setting of it and and added the the lyrics from Psalm 130 to it, and it's all basically, "I will wait for you, Lord. I will wait for you." You know, through the fire and through the storm and through the night, mm-hmm. like the watch. Uh, more, more than the watchman waits for dawn, my soul waits for the Lord. You know, and I thought, oh, it's just beautiful to hear. Mm-hmm. 10,000 people in this sing conference singing that song and having it resonate. And I'm just tearing up now thinking about it because everyone's there with a mutual experience, the similarity of, you know, we've all gone through it, you know, whatever that it is for you because of your faith. And yet at the end of the day, you realize that you have hope and you ultimately you have joy and you have love. Can you take the last minute or so of our time together and talk about what the byproduct is of the suffering? Because I think a lot of people just want to avoid the pain simply because they're afraid that at the end of it is just the end. There's no joy at the end. Yeah. You know, Psalm 1611, Roger, is my lifetime verse. And it says, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. I I believe, Roger, that suffering comes with an invitation. And the invitation is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That, That when suffering comes our way, listen, earth is not a perfect place. There is a perfect place, and we're all going there someday if we know Jesus. But for right now, in the meanwhile, Suffering is part of the life experience, but we have the surety of his presence where there's always fullness of joy. And, you know, to your listeners today, I just want to say you're not forgotten. You're not ignored. The Lord hears your cry. Lift your voice in song to him. First Peter, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this, Roger. First Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your cares on him mm-hmm. because he cares for you. Amen. Amen and amen. Carol McLeod, what a great conversation. Uh, Hope that whets the appetite for anyone listening today who's going through a tough time, uh, that there is hope and there is help, and this is a great resource to help walk you through it. The book is called Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God. It's a study in 1 Peter written by my guest today, Carol McLeod. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I'm not surprised it has nothing but five-star ratings on Amazon so far. I can't imagine anybody not just being completely blessed by this book. Carol, thank you for the time that you put into it and also for being with us today to discuss it here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Roger. It's always a delight to be with you. Boy, this is a practical and powerful book, uh, and it's available today here on Everyone Wednesday, Carol McLeod's book called Timeless, uh, kind of her version of the study of First Peter. And it's perfect for those of us who are realizing that we live in an era where the FBI would consider the Roman Catholic Church to be a terrorist organization. Not one, not two, but three copies of the book we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, last week, a guy by the name of uh, Michael Lawrenson, who is a standout at uh, Cal State Fullerton and Fullerton High School, threw a no-hitter for the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, You know who knows what it's like to have that kind of high 
is Jason Grimsley, who pitched for a number of different teams in the majors, including the New York Yankees. But unlike uh, J- uh, Michael Lawrence and Jason Grimsley knows what it's like to go from the highest high to the lowest low, and yet both of these guys have a common faith in Christ. Jason Grimsley wrote a story about his experience called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason Grimsley joins me to talk about that book coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a conversation, of course, about my favorite sport of all time, and that's baseball. And uh, joining me today for this conversation is a story of a man who literally has written a book about what it was like to be uh, just kind of at the highest height, the lowest low, and then understanding what the love of Christ means to him and has done for him. Uh, Jason Grimsley is my guest His book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason Grimsley, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me. What we, you and I established before we started our recording here that uh, you are not related to Ross Grimsley, which will make all the baseball geek fans, uh, you know, who are listening to the wait, that makes sense. Wouldn't Jason be his son? But you're not quite old enough for that. But I understand you and Ross do have a good relationship. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I get to see Ross every once in a while. I just saw him a couple months ago in Houston. And uh funny thing is, him and his wife, um, Bertie, called me son every time they see me. It's, <laughs> they're just a great couple. I love them to death. Oh, that's great. Let's talk, let's talk about baseball. I mean, people look at what happens in Major League Baseball and they think, oh, these guys make it look so easy and they get paid so much money and it's such a glamorous life. What was it about the game that got you excited about it that made you say, this is kind of that brass ring I want to grab when I get older? Um, I just love playing. It was It was the first game I really I fell in love with you know I could I could go out with my friends or my brother or if nobody is around I'd, I'd get a bucket of balls and throw them up against the wall mom would get real mad at me but you know, I, I just I just I just love the game from the beginning yeah that's neat and obviously you excelled at it did pretty well uh your professional career it's fairly well documented in the book and I don't want to gloss over any of this stuff Jason if you want to dig deep in on some of these these questions please feel free to do so but you got drafted, you're making your way to the majors, and you describe it as kind of a tumultuous ride, if you will. I mean, in terms of having a wild and unbelievable life. Kind of give us some of the highlights, some of the lowlights about what happened, because we're curious to find out where you met God in all of this. But first and foremost, I mean, 
the professional sporting world is kind of crazy, isn't it? Oh yeah, it, it is. You know, but um, you know, I never had, I never, I never thought it was a possibility growing up where I grew up between Cleveland and Dayton, Texas, uh, Tarkin and Prairie. Uh, my dad was a welder. My mom worked at a bank, and then she was the superintendent's uh, secretary at, at the school in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't know it when we were younger, but we we didn't have a whole lot. We had we had what we needed. Mm-hmm. But um, baseball was just something that I just absolutely loved and enjoyed and played with my friends. And, you know, I was on the little league teams and I was on the polar league teams and then the high school teams. But, you know, that was something that when you when you watch it on television, you know, you watch Nolan Ryan, J.R. Richards, you right. watched the at the time with Ron Guidry and and uh, Catfish Hunter and Thurman Munson. You know, that's just something that was otherworldly, in my opinion. And, um, you know, when I got a chance at 17 to go out, to a tryout camp and I knew I threw hard because my teammates didn't want to play catch with me when I was younger. <laughs> then my dad stopped playing catch with me, but I didn't, I didn't know how hard I threw. And, um, you know, I go to that trial camp and six days after the trial camp, I, I got a Western union telegram and a call saying that I've been drafted by the Phillies and somebody was going to give me a uniform. I was going to be able to have a chance to play in the big leagues. Well, at that moment, I, I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I knew I was going to play in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. There was there wasn't a doubt in my mind, and I I didn't have the size at the time. I think I was five eleven, one hundred fifty five pounds when I was drafted. Mm. And then um, over the next, when I got the big leagues, I was six three, one eighty. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, but oh, um, but uh, it was just, you know, there were times in my leagues where where I I wasn't good. I could throw the ball through a wall, but sometimes I couldn't hit the wall, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I never doubted, I never doubted myself. And I, I knew I was out going, I was going to outwork everybody. And there, I just I always knew that no matter what, you know, I had, a, I had extreme confidence in myself. I don't know where it, well, I know where it came from. It came from the way I was, I was raised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was, it was just one of those things. Where you know when you when you get there, it's it's like a dream realized. But in the same moment, it was like I almost told myself I I knew it, and a lot a lot of the people didn't believe me. But somewhere inside me, I, I just knew it. Yeah, Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about his brand new book, which is called Cross Stitched. At one man's journey from ruin to restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm always intrigued when you look back, you know, 2020 hindsight at what players, you know, wind up, you know, getting traded from one team to another. And who was that guy who was the player to be named later or whatever it was. And I know you're good friends with Jerry DePoto, who does the general management ship so well. Now he's president of the Seattle Mariners. But I did not realize until I was preparing for our time together that when you came up with the Phillies, had a couple of years there, and then you were traded to the Houston Astros for some guy. What was his name? The guy with a bloody sock, right? Oh, I mean, Kurt, that's, Kurt, oh something. <laughs> Kurt something or rather. Yeah, right. Holy yeah. cow. I mean, did, what was it like as you're cutting here at the Indians and you wound up with my angels for a year, you're going back and forth and you're watching this guy have a Hall of Fame career and saying, okay, well, I mean, obviously somebody saw that type of potential in you too. What's it like to a player when you know you're good, you're the best guy in your high school team, you get into the pros, you're playing the game, and then all of a sudden you've got all these distractions and some guys really find a groove and others kind of find a way. I mean, you obviously had a career, you played for a number of different teams. What was it like to just kind of keep grinding and out and finding a way to keep landing with another team? Oh, you know, I, I, I never really 
thought about it that much. You know, it might have bothered me a little early on when I didn't think I was, you know, I kept, for my shortcomings, I kept blaming a lot of other people. You know, I I, I was my own worst, worst enemy out there. I was mm -hmm. extremely hard on myself. Um, and, you know, if everything went right, I was great. But if the smallest thing went the way I didn't think it was going to go, you know, I, I had, I had no, I had no composure mm -hmm. and it, it, it took me a while until probably 98 to really just, just sort of turn loose and enjoy playing the game. Mm. And when I started doing that, I went from barely making a triple A team with the Indians in 98 to being the closer to being seven and two with a, three earned run average with the Yankees and pitching the world series the next year. Mm, wow. And then my career, my career just, you know, continued to, to go, to get better from there career wise. But, um, you know, going back to when I was younger and things like that, you know, I went to church on Easter and Christmas, you know, but we weren't what you would call a, a religious family by any means. Mm -hmm. But, um, at the age of 11, I had a, I had an encounter and there's, we were at a, a Bible, Bible, like a Bible retreat for kids. It was just a day long thing. Yeah. And it was during the week. And, and on a Wednesday night, we all went and, uh, names of pa Pastor Belver, Calvary, uh, Calvary church in, in, uh, Tarkington. I, I never forget, you know, he's up there preaching. And for the first time I really heard it. And he asked if mm -hmm. anybody wanted to come up and accept Christ. Well, you know, sometimes you see a bunch of kids get up and go, well, I was, when I got up, went up there, my friends looked at me like I was crazy what I was doing, but I mm -hmm. just heard him call me. You know, there was no follow-up after that, but I, for my entire career and the, the rest of my life, I, I've always known Jesus was who he said he was, mm -hmm. but I just, I didn't want to live a life. I didn't want to live. I didn't want to live that life. Yeah. I, I didn't think I was deserving of it. I didn't feel mm -hmm. like I, I was worthy. I, I felt I was almost, Un unredeemable in a way mm -hmm. because at a really young age I was I was molested mm. for about a year and a half two years and I didn't tell anybody until I was 48 oh my gosh and you know there's two things that can happen when that happens you either become uh, an abuser or a protector well right. I went I became an extreme protector mm. you know anybody needs to stand it up for or if I felt like anybody wronged me in any certain way or if I felt like somebody was picking on somebody that was smaller than they were weaker than they were i I was the first one in the fray and you know it wasn't i wasn't nice about it at all mm. and that mm. carried that carried through almost all of my career wow. if not all if not all of my career even to the point um 1999 uh, and uh, let's back up a little bit 92 i was in spring training with uh the phillies and I had to go to a chamber of commerce event and probably the single most significant day of my life happened. I think it was on March the third. In uh, in spring training in Clearwater in 1991, I, I met my wife Dana, mm. and uh, I didn't want to go to this thing, but it was one of those things we had to wear a suit and go to. Mm -hmm. Her mother made her go with her. She didn't want to go. Interesting. We, we just happened to meet in that room and we got married eleven months later. Oh my goodness! What a great story. And, you know, we're married 31 years later. And, you know, it's, it's, um, she was a Christian from the beginning. Mm -hmm. She was all, the whole time. If I had, if I could weasel out of going to church and go play golf or go duck hunting, I was, I was going to do it. <laughs> yeah. But anything yeah. I was going to church. 
Yeah. But, um, you know, then 1999, I go to spring train with Indians. I mean, with the Yankees. And um, I'd seen the Easter presentation many times. And we went, my wife made me go to church again. And I saw it. And when I tell you, God hammered on me, he dropped a hammer on me. Mm. And mm. I, for the first time since I was 11, I really felt his presence. And I just started bawling. And my, my wife asked what was wrong. And I said, there's nothing. I just, I get, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got, in, I got involved in the Yankees with George McGovern, who's a great mentor of mine and friend, and Andy Pettit, Scott Brocious, mm-hmm. Mariano, Bernie Williams. They were Joe Girardi, just strong Christian men. Mm-hmm. They wrapped their arms around me and led me on a walk and um, baptized in the Lake Armonk on April 25th. That was a great day. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. I love hearing you tell that story and how fresh it still is in your mind and how that newness of life has really been a hallmark for, for you, even though there were still some bumps along the road. Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His book is called Cross Stitched. And as you can see from the cover, talking about a guy who has a baseball career, but the subtitle, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. I've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this uh, Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Jason Grimsley is my guest. We're talking about his powerful book uh, called Cross Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration, talking about his days with the Yankees and in Major League Baseball and how God has uh, been helping him and uh, move in the right direction ever since uh, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not one but two copies of Cross Stitch we're giving away, in addition to three copies of Carol McLeod's book called Timeless on First Peter. So you're going to win something. we got five books we're giving away right now on Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day and Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, the conclusion of my conversation with Jason Grimsley coming up next as the bottom line continues. Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I am Roger Marsh. We would call his career a journeyman's career because of the number of places he played, but there aren't too many guys who have the the testimony that Jason Grimsley does, and we've been hearing about his faith in Christ and his professional career and meeting his lovely wife. The book is called Cross Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Favorite team, I mean, I realize you pitch for the Yankees in the World Series, which is it doesn't get a whole lot better than that, but favorite experience? Oh, the, my best experience in baseball, the one that I yeah. cherish the most? Yeah. Uh, that was probably Game 3 of the World Series in 1999. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't have anything to do with the game. Mm. It, it's uh, it's what happened af- after the fact. You know, uh, after after you win a game in in Yankee Stadium, all all the all the kids, all the all the boys are able to come in the locker room. Mm. And um, there's people standing up. There's 50 reporters around my locker because I hadn't pitched in 28 days, and I got on the mound and th- threw th- three scoreless. Came in the third, pitched the third, fourth, fifth innings. We ended up tying up the ball game, winning with uh, Chad Curtis in the walk-off home run in the in the tenth inning. And um, some oldest boy runs by and he's waving at me. He's five. I know where he's going. He's going to the video room. He's gonna play video games. <laughs> and, then, and then my my three-year-old John, he's um, I could see the reporter sort of moving out of the way, and he's snaking his way through him at at knee level. And he comes up, he holds his arms up, and I pick him up, pick him up, and I'm talking to Susan Walden and uh, with the Yes Network. Mm-hmm. 
and she's talking to me and John, John keeps grabbing my face and want me to look at him. And I just say, hang on a second, buddy. Let me, let me talk to Miss Susan. And he, and I'm talking and he does it again. And I say, hang on guys, give me a second. And he turns my head and he looks me in the eye and he pats me on the cheek and he says, way to go, daddy, way to go. Oh, I love that. And I saw, I just started, I lost it. I oh just, man. I just, you know, and I, I told Susan, I said, you gotta give me a second. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I started crying because he thought I said, nobody. Yeah, I have you made your daddy right there. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. What is it like for you? I mean, obviously, the, the, that's a high point. There were some kind of low points with regard to the career and, and some of those things, too. Talk, you talk about, you know, the ruined restoration part in the, the title of the book, Cross Stitch. Talk about some of the maybe the, the lower points of the journey uh, as far as baseball goes and how God's walked you through them. Yeah, well, that was that right there. The that moment I just told about was probably the. I'm not going to say the beginning of the end, but it was the beginning of the. The the moving away of that whole year, actually. Mm. You know, you you have you have a lot of success. All of a sudden, you're you're, World Series champion. You got the ticker tape parade. You got all the parties you got to go to. I did the ladder button, and it all starts to be about me again. Mm. Look what I did, you know, and the ego starts kicking. Right, and the next year I'm a little further away, and then uh, 2001, the Yankees, my elbow swelled up right before the playoffs, and I pitched the one game and didn't too, did too well, and then I, I wasn't able to pitch the second series in the playoffs, and then I was active for the World Series but didn't get in because my elbow was still swelled up. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I go to Kansas City as as a non-roster invitee, and I, ma I make the team. Of course, I had elbow surgery in the off season. I think I had seven bone chips in my elbow that I didn't mm. know about. So they mm -hmm. cleaned, cleaned that out. And I go to spring training, and my arm felt better than it ever felt. And I think um, right before the All-Star break, I had 34 holds, which I don't think anybody had ever done before. Mm. Wow. And um, signed a multi-year, multi-million long-term, you know, a long-term deal. And, uh, you know, the the – the more it became about me, the further I got away. And then I recognized myself. And then you deal with the shame, you deal with the guilt, and you don't really want to mess with it. You know, why would I? I'm, I'm having success. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm having success professionally. Um, I just fell back into my old habits. And it was it was, it was was a slippery slope, slope to begin with. You know, and I, I would go to... Bible study every once in a while. I go to devotional every once in a while, but I always felt like a hypocrite when I walked in there. Mm. And um, you know, the you know, the more it became about me, the more selfish I got. And my fam my, my family always, always mattered to me. Right. There's no doubt I loved them. But I was just a, a weak individual when it came to women. Mm. And it was just like I said, I just ended up falling back into the whole old habits. Just and a lot of that stemmed from what happened to me when I was young. I don't mm -hmm. think I knew what loving a woman other than motherly love was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Because when that happened to me, I, I, I did everything I could do to try to prove to everybody that I was as far removed from being weak or mm -hmm. abused or having anything to, to do with being a homosexual. Mm -hmm. I just I just ran from it. And, yeah. you know, I had to prove, I think, I, I think more than anything, I had to prove it to myself. I had to prove that I fought a lot, um, didn't hesitate, um, 
felt like I needed to prove myself to other women, you know, and, and, you know, and, um, 2006, you know, from 2001 to 2006, I was, I, the, the easiest way to put it, I was worse off than I was before, hmm. much off than I was because now I realized something and there was, there was even more shame thrown upon me. Yeah. And then 2006 uh, with the, with the, the Mitchell report and the FBI yeah, doping scandal. Yeah. And that, that whole, that whole debacle that I created, you know, I just, I just wanted to run away and hide like I'd done my entire career. I just wanted to put it in a box and bury it like I did with the, with the stuff that happened to me when I was, you know, a young five to seven year old kid. Mm. Mm. And um, what they don't tell you when you're, when you leave baseball, when you leave with a great retirement party and a lot of accolades or you just walk away you still got this great big hole in you that you can't fill with anything. Right. Right. And I, I tried everything I could to fill it with, it was, it was drugs, alcohol. I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to feel anything. Right. Right. And Dana hung in there with you through all this. Uh, as she did. Wow. An amazing, amazing lady. And, yeah. you know, there, there you know, she, she, even she talks about it. And when, when we, when we go places and we are discussing things and she talks to other people, she said, there was never a doubt that I loved her. Mm. And it, it took her a while to figure out that I wasn't doing this to her, mm. that it was, it was my, it was me that I was trying to self-destruct and me that yeah. I was trying to escape. Interesting. Interesting. And not that she doesn't still feel the, she didn't still feel the hurt or the betrayal or anything like that. Because, you know, that's obviously, that's obviously there, but uh, 2015, it all came to a head to where I, I decided that the world, my family, my wife, my friends would be better off if I wasn't in it. Mm. And got a, I purposely got in an argument with my wife so I could leave. I had an ounce of cocaine, five six bottles of vodka, went out to my my cousin's ranch, and over the next couple of days, tried to drink and snort myself to death, and that didn't work. And so wrote a note to everybody, grabbed my pistol, walked out in the woods, cocked it, turned around, pulled the trigger, and the gun didn't go off. Oh, no. God had other ideas. Can't even do this right. That was my thought. Wow. And wow. Uh, I said, all right, you won't let me live, God. You won't let me die. What do you want? And, you know, I'd, obviously, they found me about six hours later, and it had a total opposite effect I thought it would have. You know, I mm -hmm. thought everybody was going to be mad, and that, that just the joy that I was still there from my family, my friends, people that I hadn't seen in years were out help out, out looking for me. Hmm. And uh, went, uh, they, they put me in a psych ward for a little while, and then I went to a rehab facility. And it was the third rehab facility I'd been to, the second psych ward I'd been to. Hmm. And uh, when I got out, I was still of the mind that my family would be better off without me because I couldn't I couldn't get past the shame. I couldn't get, get past the, the betrayal. I couldn't get past the. I always, I just I didn't want to see the looks. I didn't want to be around, and 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 face what I'd done. And um, I was moving out. I told my kids, I told my wife, and the day before the day before I was, I was moving into apartment. She came to me and she said, she said, Jason, none of this works without you. I love mm. you. I love you. I've forgiven you. God loves you. He's forgiven you. Forgive yourself. 
Hmm. And that, that, that bit of grace that she showed me just completely flipped me on my ear and opened my eyes to the love that, that Jesus has for me and the, the love that's unlike any love that any human can give you. Right, right. And that, that brief moment, that human-to-human action, that, that small, not, not a small thing by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I, I thought that in my mind, the way I process, process it was, I have, I have done so much wrong to this woman. Mm-hmm. And, and from a, a, from a Christ-like attitude, she's able to forgive me and love me. And then uh, all of a sudden I just realized how much more my father in heaven loves me. Yes. Because, because in the, in that moment, I replayed every moment of my life where I, I could have died, I should have died, and the way things happened, the way little things that I didn't think were big things influenced my life in a huge way. It was almost like just a thousand pictures hit my mind. Mm, my goodness. And, and and it was like God saying, okay, this she loves you like this. Now you can see how much I love you. Mm, yes. And, uh, you know. Whereas in 1999, I was on fire for God when I was baptized and saved. Mm-hmm. This was more like a, a slow walk. He said, okay, now mm-hmm. you walk together. We're, we're not going to sprint anywhere. I'm mm-hmm. going to get you on the path of pleasing me. I'm going to put you on the path of trusting me. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful and powerful. All at the same time that the intensity wasn't necessarily that same kind of, like you said, that meteoric rise to the rush, the adrenaline, but rather now it's a it's a slow-burning ember that's equally present and always driving you forward and has been for the past eight years. Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His new book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration, from uh, the back part of Texas to the major league stage of Yankee Stadium and Game 3 of the World Series in 1999 to the bottom. I mean, literally hitting rock bottom and saying, this is it. Everyone will be better off without me. And yet in that, in that moment, God met him. And now you have a powerful testimony. Jason, take the last couple of moments of our time together and talk about your ministry now. I mean, obviously there's the book, but I mean, you've got such a powerful testimony to share. Talk about how God's using it today. Yeah, well, I've been able to speak at a few churches and uh, some uh, men's homes, guys that have lost everything. And I just absolutely love, and, and not, not only that, I've, I've spoken uh, with uh, Bruce Matthews. I've spoken with another group. Uh, his, his group's called Search, another group, Toolbox. I've spoken at, uh, at, at my church's men's group, uh, Pastor Jeff Wells mm-hmm. in Houston. Um, good friend of mine is Chad Robichaud. Right. He's the, he's, he just got has a book out, Saving Disease. His ministry is extremely powerful, similar to mine, actually. You know, at his Mighty Oak Foundation, the work mm-hmm. that they're with, with veterans and first responders with PTSD. And, uh, you know, I've just had the opportunity to, to get in front of, of men, not, o- not only men that are, that are struggling, but also successful men that, um, that, that, that are walking with God, but ha- have a huge platform and a huge opportunity to, to do so much for the kingdom. Yeah. And I, I, I love telling my story and then challenging men to wake up to what, what being a Christian man actually is. We're not pasty white weak. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not guys that shy away from fights. Yeah. But for a long time in baseball, if you were a Christian, you were considered weak. Right. You weren't a competitor. You weren't a fighter. 
And I believe God made everybody exactly like you're supposed to be made. And we're not supposed to fit in a box. Right. He created us and gave us certain skill sets for a reason. You know, and I, I still I still know I cuss too much. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I still yeah. know things that are inappropriate at, at not very appropriate times. But, you know, I, that's 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 how God created me. And I know there's somebody that when I'm speaking, I'm going to reach. Whereas if a, the, a, a pastor or somebody with a, a little bit of authority in that area might not reach them. You know, Jesus, the, right. I didn't, I didn't come for the people that were, I came for the ones that are sick. Exactly. You know, that's, 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 that's where I want to go. That's who I want to speak to. You know, and if, 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 if this book, my story and me having a chance to, to speak to these different groups and these different people has, has, has the ability to say, to, to change one person's life because I, I figured out that I can't do anything. I can't fix anything, mm-hmm. but, but I can introduce them to the source that can. Yes. Absolutely. Well, we're loving your testimony, Jason, and we're grateful that you are here and that you're, you've got so much more game to play as it pertains to your ministry and your family and uh, what God is doing and blessing in the lives of you and your wife, Dana, and your three kids. Jason Grimsley has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason, it's been an honor to get to know you, sir. Thank you for sharing your testimony with us and your time today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate that. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, look, it's, a, it's, it's an honor to speak with you. I love the work you're doing. No, I hope God continues to bless you and just Keep shouting it from the mountaintop, brother. Boy, what a powerful and vulnerable and honest testimony uh, from Jason Grimsley today here on the Bottom Line Show. His book is called Cross Stitched. Of course, that comes from the whole, you see a baseball on the cover, talks about his days in the majors and uh, what God is doing in his life right now. It's a remarkable testimony. Uh, We've got two copies of the book to give away here on Everyone Wednesday. So give us a call at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I want to talk about um, a really remarkable story. Keep it on the baseball diamond uh, for a little while longer. A local guy gave thanks to God after throwing a no-hitter. The first pitcher to throw a no-hitter for his team in nearly a decade, and uh, it's just nice to know that uh, – Major League Baseball players and NFL players and NHL players get to a certain level in their career and they still realize that uh, faith is the most important thing to them. Uh, Michael Lawrenson's journey from Fullerton High School to the Philadelphia Phillies. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970. 
800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, talking baseball here for the last half hour of the program. And my thanks again to former Major League star Jason Grimsley for sharing his story about how God has rescued him uh, from the highest heights and the lowest lows. I mean, he said in his new book called Cross Stitch, he says, you know, whether I'm high or low in heaven or in hell, nothing can ever separate me from God's love. And he realizes that as a Christian, of course, uh, he may feel low, but he's not going to be in hell because his life has been redeemed and restored. Uh, but if you uh, want to kind of peer inside the life of a major league baseball player who uh, had everything, lost it all, and then found Christ. Uh, Jason Grimsley's book, Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration, is the book for you. And we've got a couple of copies of the book we're giving away today, two copies, in fact. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, we all love a good athlete who loves the Lord's story. I want to uh, conclude our time today here with a look at a guy who's local. Very, very interesting to see uh, what he's been able to achieve. His name is Michael Lawrenson. He's kind of a journeyman, if you will, 31 years of age, um, has pitched for several major league teams. And uh, was it last year or the year before he pitched for the Angels, which was nice, kind of a hometown thing for him. And then this past year, he started out this season with the Detroit Tigers, signed a one-year, $8 million deal, which isn't bad for it. It shows you how, how much major league teams place a premium on pitching. He was pitching well for the Tigers. Tigers weren't going anywhere. The Phillies are in the playoff hunt. And so right on the trading deadline day, which is August 1st, Michael Lawrenson was traded from the Detroit Tigers to the Philadelphia Phillies. The first time he started for the Phillies, they were on the road, and the Phillies' bullpen has just been beaten up. Their starters haven't been getting very far in their starts. First time out of the shoot, Michael Lawrenson throws eight innings and gives the bullpen a much-needed day off. And that was – it was really uh, helpful for them, and so the Phillies fans were really digging the way this guy was playing for them already. So last Wednesday, uh, Phillies are at home at Citizens Bank Park – to take on the Washington Nationals. And I should mention this as just kind of a disclaimer before we go any further. Um, Crawford Broadcasting is headquartered in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Don Crawford Sr. and his son Don Crawford Jr. are season ticket holders for the Philadelphia Eagles. Philly is hometown. As a matter of fact, Don Crawford Jr. lives in Dallas and flies up eight times a year to take his dad to football games. Last year, when the uh, Phillies made it to the World Series, they, against uh, Dusty Baker's Houston Astros, I have the picture. I don't know if they let me show it or not, but uh, Don Crawford Jr. and Sr. were at both of the games in the World Series that were played at Citizens Bank Park. So uh, the Phillies are kind of, even though I'm not a Phillies fan per se, I always pull for them knowing how much the Crawford family loves the Phillies. So when Michael Lawrenson winds up pitching for the Phillies, Last Wednesday, he was uh, doing battle with the Washington Nationals, and he went one better. He did eight innings in his first game on the road, which turned out to be a Phillies win. This time, he went nine innings. The Phillies defeated the Nationals 7 to nothing, and Michael Lawrence threw a no-hitter. Phillies got no hits, no runs. It was wild. Um, he made some rather interesting uh, inroads 
Uh, he pitched with, okay, it was at Cincinnati Reds from 2015 to 2021. He pitched for the Angels last year and then with the Tigers and, you know, whatever. But if you look at Michael Lawrenson afterwards, um, well, go on social media and he identifies himself as a servant, has a reference to Romans chapter 5, 8. His Instagram account describes him as, quote, unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Um, this is a guy who, in the interviews post-game afterwards, said, I had God's grace today, and I definitely have to thank God. I, I give him all the glory for just being able to keep me calm and to trust him. Whatever happened, I was just going to go out and trust in him, and that's kind of what I've been doing all season, and I lean on him. And then in a subsequent interview, he repeatedly kept saying, God is good. He said, the only thing I could do is step back and thank God for everything, little, literally everything he has done for me. Michael Lawrenson at the height of his career, just as we had the interview with Jason Grimsley talking about the height and the low parts of his career, whether you're at the highest high or the lowest low, to be able to give glory to God, I think is truly remarkable. And I have one final insight to share about Michael Lawrence and, and his faith journey culminating with this no-hitter last week. We'll talk about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, your last chance to get in on the giveaways at 800-227-5278. Three copies of Carol McLeod's book on Timeless, the Living and Enduring Word of God based on 1 Peter, which is a perfect primer for us who are Christians who are saying, hey, wait a minute, why, is the, why are Catholics being labeled a terrorist group in the United States? This is a resource that will help you figure out how to still keep your Christian faith when all of a sudden it becomes, you know, against the law. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. And then um, we've also got Jason Grimsley's book, Cross Stitch, talking about his experiences in the majors and being a hotshot pitcher with the Yankees in the World Series back in the late 90s and then getting to the point where he almost took his own life because the desperation was so bad and how God reached him in the depths of his despair. And now he's an outspoken minister for the gospel. We have two copies of Cross Stitched to give away at 800-227-5278 as well. Michael Lawrenson, Philadelphia Phillies pitcher. I mean, he's been with the Phillies for two weeks now. Uh, has two starts. One of them was eight innings on the road and uh, scoreless innings, as I recall. And then uh, his home debut last Wednesday, a week ago, was a 
a no-hitter at Citizens Bank Park. And, of course, Don Crawford Jr. and Sr. rejoicing over the fact that the Phillies doing so well. But the idea that Don Crawford's uh, team is doing so very, very well, I think, is, is really key for this because this is a guy, Michael Lawrenson, who at the height of his height could have very easily said, you know, I, the, the idea is I want to be a savior myself for the team. You know, I, I'm doing this on my own accord. And the fact that he was able to bring this in and then at the end of the day say, I want to give glory to God. By the way, it's kind of interesting fact. There are four pitchers who came out of Fullerton High School, Michael Warren in the 80s, Steve Busby in the 80s, pitched for the Royals, uh, Walter Johnson way back in the day, and now uh, Steve Michael Lawrenson. And all four of these guys, by the way, have pitched no hitters. <laughs> what is it about Fullerton High School? If you're looking for the next big thing, uh, maybe you should look into Fullerton High School and see what their program's all about. But seriously, in all honesty, the fact that Michael Lawrenson basically put on a primer for us in terms of how do you show the world what your faith is really made of. It's really easy when things are going well to give glory to God. It's really tough when things aren't going well. But when you're caught up in a moment like he was last week, you threw the 14th no-hitter in Philadelphia Phillies history. Your shoes, which he he's a surfer guy from Southern California. He has his cleats, his spikes are made by Vans. They're Vans tennis shoes with baseball spikes on the bottom. They're now going to the Hall of Fame. But people will remember this day for as long as they remember things. And hopefully what they're going to remember is that Michael Lawrenson, at the height of his personal achievement and success, gave glory to God. Would that we have that same kind of witness. That is good news. And that's the bottom line.